Action. <laughs> Just drink it, all right? <laughs> Chester, have you opened the wine yet? Can we get the show on the road, please? Did you bring the wine? I got the wine. <laughs> what do you think this is? Some kind of bitch and wine talk show? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to my bitch and wine talk show where the tasting notes are made up and the points don't matter and we say whatever we want about the wine that we're drinking and hopefully sharing with you. I'm your host, Stephen Lane. I'm here with my trusty colleague, Mr. Chester the Nightfly Northfield. Hello. <laughs> Chester, are you ready for some football? Football? What? Football? Uh, what I meant to say is, are you ready for some 2015 Champalou Vouvray from the Loire Valley? Well, I could probably get a good spiral France. on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen up, folks. One, two, three, and... That is the sound of my favorite thing in wine. That is a screw cap closure. Mm. Okay. Hey, Chester. Mm-hmm. Is there wine in the glass? <laughs> yes, there's wine in the glass. And there's wine in my glass now as well. Okay. I, w- I wish we could drink some wine with Steely Dan right now. I would love to drink some wine with uh, Donald Fagan. Is there wine in the glass? <laughs> Walter Becker, rest in peace. We're going to see Steely Dan next week, aren't we? Uh, cheers. cheers. Cheers, Steely Wal- Dan. Cheers and to Walter Steely Becker. Dan and Walter Becker. I think we cheers to Walter last week. Did we? I think we did. Maybe that's got to be a thing. It's worth doing it again. <laughs> we drink to Walter every single week. This has got a great color on it. Uh, what color is it, Chester? <sighs> it's like the urine of an angel. I was hoping <laughs> for white or red, <laughs> but I'll accept that. Um Ladies and gentlemen, Champalou Vouvray, uh, Chenin Blanc, 100% Chenin Blanc, uh, as I mentioned from the Loire Valley, kind of a you know, northwesternish France, uh, Loire River. Uh, Vouvray is kind of in the center, the middle, middle Loire, as they say, um, and definitely the spiritual home of the varietal Chenin Blanc. Hmm. And Chester, uh, does Chenin Blanc go by any other names, like in a different country? Uh, probably. Uh, it was, I've heard it uh, referred to as Steen, S-T-E-E-N, which is almost Stephen, which means <laughs> in a V, uh, in South Africa. But mostly, I see it referred to as Chenin Blanc. What about Pinot Blanco? That is Pinot Blanc. I like how you said Blanco as well. Well, on Wikipedia it says Pinot Blanco. Pinot Blanco. Also called... Isn't he a criminal? Pinot de la Loire, Pinot Blanco, and in parentheses, more. <laughs> more, yes. I like to, I prefer the more description. Um, Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley in France. Uh, Champalou. Uh, what do we know about Champalou here? Um, shall we get right into the label a little bit, or should we taste some wine? Hmm. It's got a lot of synonyms, actually. Over the years, Chenin Blanc has no- been known under a variety of synonyms, including, oh my god, I don't know that one, Aguadillo, Aguadillo in Spain, Aguadillo in Spain, Anjou, Blanc de Anu. This is like a huge paragraph of names. Where it's- did you get this Pinot Blanco thing? Chenin Blanc on Wikipedia. Yeah. Where's Pinot Blanco? Where does it say this? Uh, you can look on the right or down at the bottom where it says synonyms. Oh, Pinot Blanc is the last one. 
It's weird. I never seen. I don't. I think that's bullshit. Probably. You're right about South Africa. Stein. Steen. Steen. Steven. <laughs> Steven. All right. Let's let's, let's just over. let's just go straight into it and take. Do you want to start over? No, we no, we just cut out whatever we don't want. It's fine. I'll cut out most of that last little bit. It doesn't matter. All right. Shall we taste this? I think we shall, Chester. So what color is the wine, Chester? I'm hoping for a straight answer, just for our listeners, who may not be sharing it with us. Hmm. There's really only three options. Th- what? There's got to be more than that. There's so much that comes to mind here. Is it a white wine? Is it a red wine? Or is it a rosé wine? It's a nice golden water. It's a white wine, folks. It's white. Well, yeah, white wine. Uh, no, we were going to talk about the but color. The, co- the color is so much more than white, though. That isn't. That's a nice observation. It's a bit racist to call this white, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Let's not go there. This time of the <laughs> race. But no, no. This is so much more than white. It's a white wine by you know category. Um, okay, color of this Vouvray. It's like watered honey. Doesn't have that like brown. That but very, it has that golden. It's got definitely got a gold kind of you know influence. Um, mm. I'd say it's a medium to like. I'd say it's a pale gold color. Appropriately, the wine is about three years old, so I mean it shouldn't really have taken on under screw cap, you know, too much uh, development. It's a little bit like the color of mead, mm. or like a light dry cider that's had all the carbonation shook out of it. Sounds about right comfortable with that uh so we're saying kind of you know as far as the appearance goes for the chenin blanc you know you know i'm kind of a more medium uh medium kind of weight to the gold color of this wine um certainly are much paler wines out there talking about um you know something like gruner veltliner that's a very very pale kind of green color almost green tinges when it's uh when it's young especially when it's youthful definitely more of a medium bodied uh appearance on this chenin blanc let's have a sniff a smith that's a smith is a is actually halfway between a sniff and a smell. Are you familiar with this no, term? No. No, you are. Definitely not. A lot of depth here. I just think mineral. Uh, absolutely. Um mineral like green apple, something crisp, you know that It's hard to find words, you know, and I'm going to say that throughout the course of, you know, every single episode when we taste great wines like this. Um, well, it's almost a mistake to try and use too many words with a wine. Like, I think so. At, I think, at a certain point, you should just experience it, forget about words, and... I couldn't agree more. Um, there, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a pleasure this week, folks. Thank you for tuning in to my Bitch and Wine talk show. We'll see you next week. Just drink it. No, anyway, but I think you're you're bang on. Uh, mineral mixed with kind but like, of like you know, all right. When we fruit. say when we say mineral, what are we talking about? It's a great question. What are we talking about? Because I've heard that word banged around so many times, and I I know what it means. Like, like what in, does it mean to you? What does it mean to you, Chester? Well, no, no, I, I I said that because it's like I've I've smelled I've smelt smelted enough wines tasted enough wines so that when someone says mineral i'm like oh yeah i know what they're talking about you've dealt enough wines i've dealt enough wines. <laughs> yeah. dealer in vegas dealing one and i know like the sensation like 
whatever chemical reactions are happening in my nose or on, you know, in my mouth, I know what those are when someone says mineral, but like, what mineral are we talking about? There's so many well, bloody minerals. If you'll indulge me for a second, what would be an example uh, for me and for any listeners of a mineral that we could compare this to? Would a stone be a mineral? Well, it depends on the stone. If we it? smell a rock, a piece of gravel, let's say, would that qualify as a mineral classified scent to you? Uh, I would say yes. Okay, so a mineral is is defined as a solid inorganic substance of natural occurrence. Wow, that could be freaking anything. That could be a rock. That could be a, a petrified horse turd. That could be a petrified horse turd. That could be maybe this table. Maybe this wine glass. Maybe this microphone. I guess I was thinking more in like like minerals that are for health, like zinc or something. Okay. Or copper. Okay, so maybe metallic. Definitely um, has a metallic quality to it, for sure. Okay, so maybe we'd say steely. <laughs> we love you, Walter. <laughs> we miss you. Um, okay, so mineral. Yeah, this 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 is kind of reminiscent. The smell of this is reminiscent of like when you when you lick a piece of metal, you get a similar sort of like. Hmm. I would say there is something between, you know, certainly a metallic or, you know, kind of a, well, let's say the metallic mineral quality, or maybe even like wet pavement to me that smell after it's rained, you know, in the street. I would describe that as a mineral It's smell. like the cold version of that, because that's usually when, you know, it's humid, it's a little warmer. Well, they both, Definitely they, both, they, have both the exist, but it, certainly that's, that's, that's a whole other different sensation. I think probably because the wine is chilled as well. That might have something to do with it. Hmm. All right, let's taste this. Mm. Mm. Easy there. <laughs> wow. 2015 Champlou Vouvray. Um, that's a big wine. That's very, like that's like the whole apple. That is a very ripe apple. That apple is almost. Uh, I mean, let's let's talk about this in terms of fruit, hey. Okay, so something that comes right off the... Do you ever get, like, when you have something, like, a like a really acidic or, or tart apple, and, like, like the side of your tongue starts to itch? Does that make... Am I sounding crazy? I know there's people out there that have the sensation where, like... Continue. Like, I don't know. I've always actually wondered about it, where, like, you know, like, part of, part of like, my tongue just, like, it's itchy or, like... It's almost like an allergy a little bit where, okay. where like, you know, when you, you have like an allergic reaction to something that like, like brushes up. Like kind of quality? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. When something brushes up against your skin and then it, it like, it gets a little inflamed and itchy at the same time. A like irritation. That, that happens like on, on my tongue with this, with wines of this sort of I think I know exactly. Quality. It's almost a sharp feeling. Yeah. Um, it's almost, you know, it's kind of like the, the itchy. Really selling it. <laughs> well, it it just strikes me because it always happens with wines that have this much like g- green apple sort of acidity to them. I mean, I think that's fair. I I think you know, let's well, you guys want to do an as, as, let's do an acidity test. Are you familiar with this? I, well, that, let's do it. No, we're talking about it. Let's do it. So, what does that mean? Acid, we're going to test how much acidity is in this wine. 
through our own perception. How are we going to do this? We're going to take the wine. We're going to have a little sip of it. We're going to swish it around in our mouth like it's scope. Okay. We're going to swallow it. What we're going to do after that is we're going to let our heads kind of hang down. We're going to let our lower lip hang loose and let our, see how much we salivate. Huh. If we salivate very quickly, we know the wine physically and tangibly has a lot of acid. If we salivate, if it takes us a while before we're about to slobber all over the floor, we know it's a little bit lower in acid. Let's oh, check man. it out. We are going to look so awesome in public when mm-hmm. we do this. <laughs> I'd say the wine has, you know, kind of a medium, medium level of acidity. You know, I quite honestly. Um, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm drilling quite a bit. It's can, all relative. Can, can like sensitivity to acid like vary from person to person? I mean, it depends. What can vary from person to person is what you define as quite a bit. What? What what you define as quite a bit of drool. Well, I've drooled a lot more than this, <laughs> so that's my definition. That's how I'm defining. You know, this is actually interesting to talk about because this gets down right. In, this gets right into the you know, analyzing. No, I, I totally agree. Um, I know for a fact, for a personal fact, that as far as this wine on, you know, the many thousands of wines I've been through, white wines especially, uh, this would rank on the kind of you know medium minus end uh, of you know really acidity in terms of white wines. I think there's a few reasons for this. Um, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to bring up some notes uh, the producer uh, has put forth in the wine. Some pretty minimal notes here, but we're on uh, the Champaloo.com website. Uh, this is the, the SEC, uh, what they call the SEC. So that actually means this is a, um, a dry example of, uh, of Ouvray now. Um, SEC being the French word for dry. Let's uh, just quickly reference something. So you'll find... A few indicators of sweetness levels on Chenin Blanc from, from Rouvray. You'll find um, sec, the driest, uh, less than 0.4% of the wine being residual sugar. Uh, from there, we go to demi-sec. So, so residual sugar is just like sugar that was not fermented by Correct. the yeast Correct. that's left over from grapes. That is exactly. So literally grape juice. Yes. Correct. Literal grape juice. Uh, sec, demi-sec, uh, and then luxuriously sweet wines, moyeux, and du. Du? Du. D-O-U-X. Hmm. Um, this is uh, considered a sec. This is the Champlain-Bouvray sec. This is their driest uh, offering. But there's definitely some residual sugar going in this wine. Now, I, you know, 2015 as a whole, um, throughout France, was a very very successfully warm vintage i would assume uh lower valley although i don't actually know you say successfully warm yeah like a like a you know considered a very very good vintage very very good in in bordeaux so are you saying the weather was literally hot literally in 2015 literally 2015 vintage and why why would that make for a better wine in the loire that's a great question it's a very 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 good question um Warm summer. Let's look at so here we go. Winespectator.com, folks. Uh, and this is kind of something you can do at home. You know, I mean, when you're drinking wine, you know, I am deducing this um, through the flavor of the wine. Having tasted more acidic versions of this exact wine from different vintages, noticing this one seems to be particularly ripe and a little bit lower in acid, uh, I'm deducing that the grapes were 
at a higher bricks level, higher sugar content, aka riper, at the time of harvest, meaning uh, something had to ripen them. What ripens fruit? Sunshine. Sunshine. Sunshine, baby. <laughs> Ain't no ripeness when he's gone. Um, let's re- read a few. The good news. Warm and dry weather conditions during spring and summer months allowed most grapes to reach full maturity with minimal risk of disease. General uh, general notes here on the Loire Valley as a whole in 2015. Um, high temperatures across the valley being reported here. Um, may have halted ripening for certain grapes. But, yeah. Um, you know, really an early early pick for a lot of parts of the Loire here. And um, as suspected, uh, based on the acidity level and the ripeness level and the kind of, you know, intense fruit character of this wine, uh, which, which I would say, I mean... Let's go back to apples, Chester. I think apples is something is a, is a flavor that comes up a lot when it comes to Chenin Blanc, when it comes to you know Chardonnay, certainly. What? Uh, Riesling. We always think about apple. I think apples are a very comparable thing. Most people, you know, in in the northern hemisphere, uh, Europe, North America, um, are familiar with you know apple trees. We're familiar with the taste of apples. We've seen, we've had those crab apples, you know, that are very very tart. Probably tried to pick them too early as kids when we're just really excited to get an apple from the tree. And we've seen them kind of, you know, fall off the tree and overdevelop. We fed them to horses when they're, you know, too ripe for our own liking and they're a little bit browned, bruised. Uh, where would you say for you this particular wine falls if it were an apple? Granny Smith, the green one. So you find it very tart. Yeah, it's like, it's almost, well, a Granny Smith apple I find obnoxiously bright. But yes. in this... In this, it's like reminiscent of that. It's this has like a well. This Do you has eat like a lot a, of apples, Chester. No, <laughs> it's obvious. But this has like a the viscosity, like the texture of the actual liquid is has like a creamy quality to it that you never get with like a crunchy, acidic, obnoxiously bright apple. So it kind of balances. I think the redemption a little bit. You know, there's redemption in in that statement. I, I think you know. This is definitely on the spectrum of kind of red delicious or golden delicious. What for me? Really? Certainly. I find this way more acidic than. Well, I think I drink a lot more white wine than you do. Okay, so that goes back to what I was yeah. saying earlier: mm. is like, can it vary from person to person? So, for example. Yes, and this is probably why you know. I mean, can we can we come out in public and say that Chester's not the biggest fan of white wine? I was just gonna. Well, I have <laughs> I have had very little white wine. I mean, generally it it. Well, to be honest, I've... as you can notice, my glass is already empty. Chester's <laughs> is still three quarters full, folks. But you know what? Again, I, it was know, filled to the brim. That, that's one of the points. <laughs> but that's one of the points of this show is that the fact that you know we can kind of go from a different experience level here, um, different preference level, and discuss these points. And I think you know whether you're a sommelier uh, listening to this show or whether you're you know a first time, you know podcast listener or whether you're a novice wine drinker or whether you drink wine six or seven days a week mm-hmm. um you know these are always the kind of things that we're discussing you know are these kind of variances in perception but exactly well to build on that i think that's one of the problems that you you invariably run into when you hear some sort of like quote-unquote expert who's running some kind of wine seminar and they're talking about the wine they talk about it very fluidly, very fast, and, and with a high degree of certainty. So, As I'm but, doing right now. But, th- but that, can, that does not necessarily resonate 
across the audience, especially with people who have not tasted as many wines mm-hmm. as this person has, because, right. you know, as you say, you've you've tasted a lot more white wines than I have. Right. So your, your palate's actually changed as a result of that. That's like true. I taste this and it is like. It, it's like I can't eat this whole apple. It's just too much. Like I feel like my my teeth will get brittle. To be honest, interesting. It's very so interesting. Maybe I was talking to a friend the other day who has who has some young children, and for the first time, you know, the, the kid wanted to taste something with like a little hot sauce on it, and they're like, "All right, are you sure you want it?" It's like, "Yep, yep, yep." And like the kid didn't even have, I don't know if it was like a drum, like a chicken wing or whatever, but drum like solo. had <laughs> drum solo, had barely even like touched their tongue, and they were like. Ah, like they couldn't right. handle it because they were so sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you know, the adults were just chowing down on this. Like it was like, well, it's like mild spice. Or for the kid, it's like this is an insano sauce. Right. So I think there's something similar going on here, where it's like you said this is like medium to low on the spectrum of acidity, and I, you know, I'm tasting this, and I'm like, my god, this is the bottom of the spectrum. Right. There's, there's no the, way I could at, climb this ladder. You're at the bottom of the spectrum, but I definitely would say it's lower on the spectrum. Uh, so Chester, let's let's actually let's 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 use your perception to our advantage here. Um, what kind of wines are you generally drinking? Well, big fat reds. Okay, so what? A big I'm American. Big fat reds. Uh, at, you know, at what price point generally? Uh, cheap to free. Cheap to free. So, <laughs> what are we dealing with there? We're dealing with relatively low acid wines mm-hmm. from the new world done in a very ripe style a high um, alcohol content high alcohol content obviously uh, generally you know higher alcohol means more ripeness means less naturally occurring acidity okay explain that how how do how do those three qualities like inform each other alcohol because, acidity but don't you get a higher alcohol when you have a higher sugar content to start with because it's more for the yeast to chew on. Absolutely correct. However, uh, and you said you said 2015 for Champolu was a great for the ripe Valley. year for the Loire Valley. Okay, well, oh, you're qualifying that with the Loire, Loire Valley. Well, Champolu is the producer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. We are. Quote, I, I am only. I mean, we can tell from tasting this wine and from the reports in the vintage for the region that it was indeed. On the warmer side, on the riper side. So if it was on the warmer side and riper side, that would mean more sugar. Correct. So why isn't there, why isn't, uh, this is 12.5%. Why isn't it a higher alcohol point with less acidity? It is. What? It is. Well, it's it's not like a 14.9 from California. That's not, well, it's not from California, is it? Is that because California is even hotter? Much, 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 much hotter. Okay, so you're going to get even riper grapes. Absolutely. With much, even I mean, more sugar. We're talking about Chenin Blanc. We're talking about, you know, there's also, you know, Chester, you got to recognize that um, likely, you know, as a French producer, they're going to pick this wine a little bit earlier. Mm. Um, it depends on other things as well. I mean, it's sugar content, of course, is going to impact the alcohol content, we also must consider that I've had much drier examples of this wine uh, from, let's say, 2012, 13, and 14, um, which probably rang in around 12% alcohol, but were much drier. Mm-hmm. So at 12.5, this wine still has residual sugar. This wine could have probably been 14% alcohol, maybe 13, 13.5. Mm-hmm. 
So consider that, right? I mean, it's going to come out in the wash somewhere, generally speaking. Um, and you know what? Again, relatively low acidity. As your bricks levels, your sugar levels in the grapes continue to rise, your acid levels continually drop, to put mm -hmm. it simply. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hence, we have a relatively, you know, sweeter, and I, and I mean that quite literally, uh, relatively, you know, the higher perception of residual sweetness or sugar, um, a lower presence of acidity, and, you know, 12.5% alcohol is not necessarily considered, you know, historically not considered low. Hmm. I mean, there was, you know, if you look at, you know, let's Wait, say... Historically for the lower valley or in general, in general? I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're going out to, to Muscadet, you know, if you're going to the to the far west end of the, the mouth of the Loire River, you know, almost on the Atlantic, you're talking about, you know, Melon de Bourgogne with the grapes that produces Muscadet in that region there. You know, you're talking about 10% alcohol wines, hmm. you know, significantly lower. Different varietal, of course, and each varietal is going to produce a different level of naturally occurring sugar. And, um, and that's what influences primarily, like, how much alcohol you're going to get. The varietal and the vintage, absolutely. Hmm. And, 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 and the, and the vintage, you know, in, and combined with that, uh, you know, how the grapes were handled during that vintage. Isn't it also the fact that you were saying it was and, like... And, and post-harvest. Well, is, is, you said it's like near the Atlantic, right? So isn't that going to be farther north in France? Yes. So aren't you talking about a, a slightly colder climate also? Generally you are. And that's why the Loire Valley is known mostly for its white wines. Okay. You know, grapes that are, you know, a little bit easier to ripen can, in cooler climates. Can you get a 14 point something percent in France? Or is it just not hot enough? For, for acro like across the board. For what varietal? Any varietal. In what region? In any region. Absolutely. Hmm. Not in any region necessarily. I mean, but if you think about it, Chester, I mean, you know, there's nothing stopping a producer from leaving his grapes or his or her grapes on the vine for a longer period of time. Picking them in October. <laughs> or November. You know, oh, yeah. really? They go that far? Well, if you want to make an ice wine or I mean, ice wine, they're not going to call it ice wine in France, but you can harvest your grapes whenever you want. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I mean, a lot of times in Germany, you're harvesting grapes on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Doing your ice wine harvest. Totally I did, common. I did not know that. You learned something new today. <laughs> That would be fun. Christmas Day, like out in the snow. It's a communal thing as picking well. Picking wine yeah. or picking grapes. That as sounds, soon as it hits minus that sounds so lovely. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll do an ice wine episode. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be good. But Can, um, can it be a German ice wine that was picked on Christmas? <laughs> it's going to have to be. It's <laughs> the only option. Uh, now, where were we? Uh, we're talking about the vintage in the Loire Valley. We're talking about Champelou Vouvray here, folks. Any of you who are just tuning in. Um, 2015. Chenin Blanc, and we're talking about quite a textured wine here. I mean, certainly, you know, a nice, healthy, rich color, uh, and plenty of depth. You know, we're talking about quite ripe fruit coupled with, you know, mineral. And Chester, what, is there any other, else with the flavor, you know, or of the description of this wine as far as the nose goes or the, the palate goes that we could actually, you know, I think what we did with mineral, how we broke that down, talked about stones or metal, those sensations, we talked about the ripeness of apples, the perceived kind of, uh, you know, sweetness of an apple, an experience that most wine drinkers can probably relate to. What else can we offer a listener 
that might actually make sense and give them an idea about what they're going to experience in this wine. We know there's a mineral quality. We know it's fairly ripe. We know the acid level is relatively low. Well, for Stephen, it's low. No, on this, no, no. We have to. We have to understand. Like, and here's the, here's the thing. If you know you are going to drink white wine, and you want to experience a wine of lower acid. Um, now, contrary to what you were saying about an expert's opinion not quite reaching or being applicable to a consumer, um, I'm just saying the whole audience. There's certainly consumers that could. Fair enough, but the whole audience, I mean, aren't they there to learn something from someone who's tasted more than they have? Okay, I agree, but my my point was more to the fact that, like, your stereotypical sommelier presenter wouldn't be couching their their dissertation of tasting notes on this wine to a spectrum. They'd basically be reiterating you know, their experience of it instead of being like, okay, these are the notes that I get. It's lower on the acidity, you know, spectrum. But for those of you who haven't had too much experience with white wines in this sort of acid spectrum, it might taste quite acidic. So if you're getting a lot of acid and, and your experience doesn't seem to vibe with my original, you know, tasting notes on it, that's, that's totally normal. And that just speaks to the the fact that you haven't had too many wines like this, which is totally fine. So don't be surprised if your experience of it is different from, you know, what I'm saying or what this person is saying with regards to the wine. Certainly a valid point. Um, think about think about it this way: someone who's been running every day for a year, and then runs a marathon, is going to have a radically different experience of the physical sensations of trying to run a marathon as opposed to like, you know, someone who's overweight by like 45 pounds and hasn't run in 10 years, which would be your palate drinking this wine. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, it's it's actually a wonderful way to describe it. I mean, I think that's very, very interesting is to think, you know, I guess what we're really talking about here, folks, is we're really dialing in the dialogue uh, of who are we delivering these tasting notes to? And I think this is really a central point we're coming to on this talk show is um, what information is relevant to whom? How do we decide what descriptors for the wine we can use to make sense to any given wine-consuming individual who might be interested in consuming a wine like this one? Well, I, I think those whatever those tasting notes are, they... It needs to be. It needs to be in a framework of terminology that's that's flexible, and and not as rigid as it's it's purported to be by experts who are trying to sound like experts. Does that make sense? Yes. Like for example, all right, here, here's here's an interesting example. What senses can we record? Like can we can we like like can we achieve verisimilitude? Like, for example, we can film something, right. and when we watch it, everyone pretty much agrees on that the colors are correct, and then we'll all watch The Matrix and be like, oh, this whole thing is tinted green a little bit. Or we'll watch, you know, Eyes Wide Shut, and it's like, oh, this has, like, you know, a heavy, con- heavy you know, focus on, like, blues and oranges. Right. 
everyone can notice that and, and we don't there's not much confusion about it right. and then when it comes to like sound and music we've achieved a, like a technological verisimilitude on that too where it's like oh well that's a high pitch and that's a like a low you know bass tone mm-hmm. like everyone can get behind those and there's not much there's not much uh confusion there but when it comes to smell and taste those are things that we have not achieved any kind of technological verisimilitude we do not have like a concrete almost scientific spectrum of that you know when it comes to when it comes to sound when it comes to when it comes to sound and when it comes to color or light there's there's a like a scientific spectrum that we can define very very precisely with instruments and some sort of you know mathematical or like numerical um spectrum to use the word again Mm -hmm. but when it comes to tastes and smells there are so many freaking chemicals and compounds that are going on and they do not exist on a neat spectrum that you know exists from zero to ten they exist more like in a cloud you know, it's like, which part of the cloud are you in? Well, it's like, well, I can't even see which part of the cloud I'm in because <laughs> I'm, I'm, in in, I'm in the bloody cloud. The bloody cloud. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you know, sommeliers will talk about it, talk about wines, or like a wine expert will talk about a wine with such certainty as though they are talking about like, oh, well, this this color exists between this wavelength and this wavelength only. And Which is exactly what I was doing earlier. But that that's not the case when it comes to taste. Like, cause like I taste this, and I was like, "Geez, if you get any more acidic, you know, I mean, might as well just like try to try to bite a lemon and I know eat what it. we're having next week. <laughs> What's that? Wow. A lemonade? <laughs> <laughs> lemonade with no sugar? <laughs> I mean, it'll be heavy on the acid. <laughs> you read into that however you like, but I mean. <clears throat> But, but but doesn't that make sense? Like the the fact that we don't have a technological analog for taste and smell gives credence to the fact that there is way more going on there than we've been able to actually wrap our heads around. Without question, and that's what makes it such a hotly contested subject. And I think it's probably why uh, we don't have a great level of accessibility to these kind of circles. Um, why, you know, relatively, even though wine is opened up in many ways as far as its um, consumership, um, who's drinking it, how many people are drinking it, how much they're drinking, um, and, you know, while the, the professional community has certainly grown immensely, it still represents a very small portion of the actual people who consume the bulk of the wine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so... so- the people who are consuming the bulk of the wine. Uh, is it fair to say, oh, what would be fair to say, that their experience is a lot more flat than someone who knows a lot more about the wine, has tasted a lot more wine, a lot more variety of wine, has like has versed themselves in the lingo of how to talk and think about the well, wine? I think that's exactly the point here, Chester. So, I mean, the the difference between your experience here and my experience is that you, uh, as a relatively, you know, restrained consumer of wine in general, uh, well, when you well, are drinking white wine, wine, well, we'll say wine. In, let's say wine in general. Okay. I, mean, I know oh, that I, you know, I, I, you drink other. Things I'm the as ignoramus. Well. Here. You drink other things, right? <laughs> Not the ignoramus, but um, bourbon. But for the sake of example here, 
Um, let, let's say, let's say, Chester, how much white wine have you drank in the last year? Ooh. Just rough estimate. I, I've maybe had. Maybe a dozen or 14 different wines, and the cumulative volume of that has maybe been a glass. <laughs> okay. So I'm saying, so to you, this wine tastes like, you know. This is like sucking on a lemon. I'm sorry to say. It's like sucking on a lemon for but Chester. It's an interesting, it's out. a really interesting lemon. And let's, and let's, let's just summarize this though. So when Chester says this wine is like sucking on a lemon, and you know Stephen over here, that's me, uh, <laughs> is getting all indignant about it. We understand now, you know, for anyone who's listening, is like why? Why does Stephen feel that way? Stephen feels that way because he knows Chester's had less than one glass of white wine in the last year. So his perception of any white wine is going to be amplified in this way that seems to be based on his adverse, generally adverse reaction to the stuff. Yeah, but that's like getting upset at a five-year-old because they can't keep up with you in a marathon. There you go. But we also agree that the five-year-old shouldn't be giving advice or describing the experience of running a marathon. Or at least if he is, we don't really believe him. We don't really trust him. Well, I, I still think that... Okay, that analogy well, that's not this, that's that, not, that analogy well, that's not is a little fault because hold on, hold on, what hold we're on. really talking about is like, you know, a whole bunch of people who would like to be a little on bit On that more. note, here's Chester. Have a little more wine. Because mm. uh, we've tripled your consumption of white wine in the past year, just uh, yeah. in the last... You didn't get it to the brim. <laughs> I didn't get it to the brim. He says he What's wants... the rest of the glass for? <laughs> he says he wants to go to the brim. That's so you can describe mineral characteristics. But continue on your point about the five-year-old running the marathon. An inexperienced point of view can still yield powerful insights. Like what you were Correct. saying, what you were saying earlier about like naivete can actually be a huge benefit because you know if it takes if it takes some guy eleven years to figure out some particular surf move, and you learn that, and you're like, oh man, it's gonna take me eleven years to figure out this surf move. Like that can work against you if you didn't know that. You might just figure it out a lot quicker because you have you're a different person, and you might have, you know, trained in other ways that allow you to accomplish it. Maybe you just have a better spatial understanding, which allows you to make that surf move a lot faster than you know some moron who took eleven years to figure out some simple trick. Right. And so in the same way, like, you know, just because, just because I'm not, just because my palate can't be floored by this yet because it's, it hasn't really earned its wings in the, in the, the Vouvray acid department. That, doesn't that perspective also, doesn't it offer something to the, you know, what a whole bunch of consumers who are in the same exact boat who don't have a lot of experience with wine that can it can it help them by preparing them it's like look people if you don't drink a lot of white wine that's on the acid spectrum and you get this vouvray well, it's all in the acid spectrum okay yeah yeah absolutely of course but if you haven't drank a whole bunch of white wine and you've heard this Vouvray is like low on the acid spectrum. If you haven't drank all that white wine, 
you might not have that experience. It might taste really acidic to you. Well, I have to disagree with you because if that person is going to even attempt to drink white wine or if they think they can drink white wine, well, I mean, the hard facts is that, you know, on a spectrum of 10 wines, Mm -hmm. you know, this would probably be, you know, number three. As far as like, you know, like let's say 10 is the highest acid, 1 is the lowest acid. This is probably number 3 and number 4. Okay. But only, but I'm aware of that because I've had, you know, let's say 100 wines, 100 white wines in the last, you know, 6 months. Okay. You know, maybe probably more than that. But my point is if you don't drink white wine, so... And the reason you don't drink white wine is because white wine doesn't sit very well with you. So how valuable is, is the opinion of a non-white wine drinker to someone who doesn't drink a lot of wine, but has enjoyed a couple of white wines that they have drank and would like to start their pursuit of wine on the white category? Is that valuable information now? Well, well, you did just say that someone who's had a few white wines and enjoyed them and wants to explore their experience about it. I, I'm... My my point was really just talking to the confusion someone might feel when they're like, oh, this is low on the acid level, and then they pop it open, they drink it, they have my experience because they haven't had many white wines, and right. they're like, oh my god, I don't know what they were talking about. This is so acidic. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I got a bad bottle. So, like, I'm trying to think about someone's, like, when naivete, like, results in unproductive confusion. Or inaccurate confusion. We're like, oh, where, wh- where, what's going wrong here in my experience? Right. It's like they said this was low on acid, and I feel like I'm sucking on a lemon. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, okay, well, something else needs to be said, which is like, hey, look, your palate's gonna change the more you drink this wine. If you drank this wine once a week for a year, your experience of it in 2019 is gonna be radically different than it is gonna be, you know, the first time you drink it. So Chester, what we're gonna do? Pardon me. Chester, what we're gonna do here? We have some uh, we have some grainy mustard. Go okay. ahead. All we right. got a grainy mustard on a cracker. Chester's right. gonna eat some. I'm gonna eat some. What is this doing? The grainy mustard. That's good mustard. Has a lot of acid. Oh, nice vinegar. Mm-hmm. Literally, a lot more acid than the wine. Now we're gonna taste some wine. Oh wow! Hey, that's delicious. <laughs> that's really cool. So, I need more mustard. <laughs> now, there we go. So, Chester's all happy now. Um, and why is Chester happier with wine now? Well, and the- this is exactly my point. Now, let's say, for example, we use mustard here, and this is basically food par- food wine pairing one hundred and one. If you have a wine that's, let's say, it's high acid. But it doesn't have to be high acid. It could be low acid as well. could have any level of acidity. We're saying this, you know, my initial comment, uh, this wine is kind of medium, has medium acidity. That's so cool. So, and why I'm saying it has medium acidity versus Chester Hmm. saying it has high acidity. On Chester's very, you know, Well, it tastes a lot more mellow now. Exactly. Why does it taste more mellow? Because you are tasting it in comparison to something that has a, a far, far, far higher acid content mm. i'm like shocking my palate exactly and so the wine 
in contra like juxtaposed to it has a totally different effect exactly like it the creaminess comes across way more the wine now you know your palate is now occupied with acid of another kind it is able to perceive different qualities of this wine now Oh wow this is like apple butter now fascinating Hmm. so you know let's consider this in my my palate you know in my memory a tied tied to my palate is very, very, very comfortable with wines with much, much higher acid levels. So immediately tasting this wine, my palate already has a point of reference. Mm-hmm. Whereas what we were trying to illustrate earlier was that, you know, and, and this is neither good nor bad, no through no fault of anybody's own, your palate is not necessarily trained to read that acid and say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I can slot this relatively in this general area of acidic things in actual wine that I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. So for you, you're thinking, oh man, I never drink white wine. I always drink fat, ripe red wines with very low acid. So whatever white wine I drink, anything, pretty much almost any white wine I have, Chester has, is going to seem really high on the mm-hmm. acid spectrum. So this is similar to what I do with bourbon. Every time I get the opportunity to try a bourbon I've never had before, I always ask for a shot of Jim Beam. Because like, Jim Beam kind of like, yeah, it's like you can get it anywhere and everywhere, and it's very re- reliable in terms of what you're going to be tasting. And so, you know, I always have a shot of that to acclimate my palate in terms of like, okay, yeah, I remember where I am. So, how far away am I going to venture, and in what direction are we going to go when I taste this other bourbon right next to it? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. I would suggest, uh, we have some um, some goat cheese from Chevre on the table as well, Chester. Uh, Chevre, if you're not familiar, is um, actually uh, the spiritual home of uh, like goat cheese would be the Loire Valley. Um, I like normally to have a little little Sancerre or some Muscadet with goat cheese, but I think isn't that wouldn't that be a little sweeter or a little more residual sugar? What's that? Muscadet or Sancerre? Absolutely not. What? No. Absolutely not. No. Oh. No, in fact, um, what would the differences be? Uh, they would be much more on the kind of you know, dry, uh, green, citrus and mineral character relative to, you know, almost a Chenin Blanc of almost any kind. Hmm. However, what we are looking at, what we're examining here, um, is 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 the, is the variance in perception. Is is kind of you know, where is our, how do we establish a personal reference point for measuring the wines we taste, and. You know, why are we measuring them in the first place? I mean, if we had a Muscadet here, let's say, for example, this is from just up the river from where this Vouvray comes from, uh, and we had started off with that, um, you know, it's been a year since Chester's had a glass of white wine. You know, you know you'd, you'd, be, you'd be in tears, you know? Just because it'd be so acidic? It'd be so much more acidic than this wine. Well. You know, relatively speaking, is, um, is that feel free. Yeah. Oh shit, I gotta take this. Do you mind? There's a call for you, don't pick it up. Go ahead. Hey. It's okay, what's up? Oh my gosh. Welcome back to my Bitch and Wine talk show. I'm Stephen Lane, your host. Yeah. And. <laughs> 
he's a little shy, but that's Chester the Nightfly Northfield, folks. We just had a little, you know, gone with the wind intermission there. Chester is gone with the wind. <laughs> I'm general, a sailor. What can you say? He's a sailor. He's a sailor. Um, what was that we came up with? Would you rather date a sommelier or a sailor? Nobody wants to date a sommelier. <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> that's easy. Uh, we're uh, we're just sucking back the 2015 Champelou Vouvray Sec from the Loire Valley in France, the appellation of Vouvray 100% Chenin Blanc. This should be this should be sold with like a little jar of Dijon mustard like hang off the side. Well, a lot of French like white that corny shit be. they do with like bourbon bottles will they put like a different bourbon bottle on it. That's a really good idea. <laughs> right? Well, I mean it would you know really make um these wines and that's one of the reasons, you know, we've got to consider one of the reasons um a lot of consumers in North America you know, for a long time, we're really turned on to Californian wines is because they were riper, softer, and um, a little more accessible. And that's still happening. I mean, okay, accessible. Let's 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 do a deep dive on that word because what what the friggin' hell? It has to do with the way that um, you know people grow up eating and drinking in Europe versus America and North America or other parts of the world, perhaps. But can I can I take a stab at what accessible might mean? I want you to go for it. It just like. You can drink it alone, <laughs> without anything. Without you don't need accoutrement. It's like dancing alone. You don't need hey, a partner. I do that all the time. <laughs> I'm good at it too. <laughs> but no, that's totally. Uh, but Chester, this is really this is really central to, you know, a lot of the stylistic contrasts that we've seen historically between North American wine or New World wines and European wines. European wines. Uh, have always, always been served at table with meals. Okay. Much more. And new, so. w- new world wines. We just we don't need the food. We, we have experienced it. it differently. You know, I mean, in the fifties, uh, you know, people were not. There was no wine at the table. I mean, they had a prohibition before that. There was okay. no alcohol at all. I think we're back so up and running. Yeah, you go? yeah. Put the phones on. Right, so <clears> hold be, the phones. Oh, you know, I have so much fun doing this. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I really don't. It's like there's our blooper right there. Did you get the that? Fact that? The fact that are we rolling? Way, yeah, we're rolling. Oh, perfect. Of course, we're rolling. We're always rolling. You know, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because well, this is because now thing. now I have a story for myself behind this wine, and my experience of it has changed drastically since like the first sip could you summarize that for our listeners okay so please i love i bet you i love the color the color is almost deceptively gorgeous i mean it's seriously like it looks like some sort of nectar from like an ambrosic flower or something that's exactly what it is (laughs) but i mean i expect something like I expect something that's like a, an ice wine when I look at this okay. in terms of like how sweet it is a beautiful, and like beautiful, sickly delicious yeah. it might be. And then on the nose, you know, there's a lot of what would be called mineral. You know, it's like smelling wet stone or like licking some metal. So a much drier set of yeah. characteristics. There's like a zing. Like imagine, imagine licking... A piece of metal that has been flicked and is like 
ding sort of thing. Sounds painful. It's like trying to lick that. <laughs> but all you gotta do is coat your tongue in mustard. <laughs> of course. And goat cheese. You just beat that shit shed. down with mustard. And then, you know, that metal is all of a sudden the most pleasant. Okay, but yeah, the, the first sip was like, whoa, ah, hee ho, ho. That is acidic. That's like, that's like a whole green apple in my face with with some like minerally zing to it but but like the texture the viscosity there was like a there's a creaminess there that begins to sort of like i don't want to say like combat that but like juxtapose it in a nice way maybe okay well, well i think is the mark of a you know the hallmark of a really truly great wine is that it can be almost oxymoronic or it can be paradoxical mm. but n- now i'm tasting it now I'm tasting it. I like after this whole mustard, fucking black magic bullshit that you just pulled on me. Well, we called we introduced a, uh, you know, a higher acid compound or food or substance. I'm finding this way more, way more drinkable now. It's it's it's, it's a bizarre experience actually. People, if you are tasting a wine and you have a palate that is just as inexperienced as Mister Northfield here. That's Chester. Get some mustard. <laughs> I mean, Chester, you really nailed it. Though. It's like it's uh, this is. I, I mean, what what do I say? Welcome to the club. Oh, son of a <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, you know, again, speaking of, you know, wines that are really designed for the table. This wine, to me, to me now, to oh, me, yeah, you were making this point between like old world and new world. Which I was you saying, I mean, uh, a lot of new world wines are really drank to be. Or are made to be drank, but drunk by themselves. I mean, I'm drunk by myself all the time. So am I. You know, but uh, you know, I'm. Also, I thought that's what whiskey was. Made I for. also play well with others, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's kind of the big, the major difference here is um, now this wine. I would not say requires you know any food. For for me, I have a particular, uh, which I haven't mentioned. I have a personal passion and penchant for uh, for Vouvray. For Anjou, for for that kind of medium to full-bodied Chenin Blanc uh, mm-hmm. from the Loire Valley, uh, you know, I have a really friendly predisposition to these style of wines. But you know, for those of you who may not, you know, the, again, the wines, you know, great wines from great appellations, you know, uh, Loire Valley, or we're talking Burgundy, or you know, Chablis would be a, a notable example. Um, they have this kind of dichotomy of Especially in France, you know, you'll see the, you'll hear the French, uh, the winemakers and the, the salespeople, they say acidity all the time. And <laughs> they always talk about the, the freshness and the acidity. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, it's true though. It's true. Even when the wines have, and you, and you kind of described it organically, Chester, you said the wine has this creaminess and this kind of unctuous character. Mm-hmm. But you did find the acidity a little bit difficult. To handle at you, first, but now, but now I find to, it really interesting. That's right, and then you, you see why it's there. Because this so, one was this one was built for the meal. So for me, the the lesson behind Champelou Vouvray is that if you taste a wine and you have, and maybe you're not the most well versed, or you know what, even for even for those who are really well versed in wine, who are talking to people who are not well versed in wine, aka Maybe some sommeliers out there. 
if someone has like sort of a, like a little bit more of an extreme reaction to a wine, like, oh my God, this is so acidic. It's like, there are other things that you can, you, you can sort of hack your experience, your, your, you know, your gustatory experience of, of, of the wine by like introducing some other elements. That is the sommelier's job. That's the reason they exist is to hack that experience. And I think the message to the consumer out there, to the drinker who's inexperienced, is let you know, trust your sommelier. Let them give them a chance. Let them recommend something. I don't. I don't know if you should. I don't know. Trust, no, really. Trust the well, I no. think no. No. Usually, you order the food, and then the sommelier is like, "This is the wine that would go good with it." But I think in this case, it's like we picked a wine. Okay, now what food do we need to pair well with it in a, in a way that we can appreciate we the wine both more? Those things absolutely. And that's a sommelier's like it's dream. A, it's a, that's a two-way street that I personally didn't actually really think about all that consciously until just now. And a lot like, of people don't think that way. A lot of restaurants don't think that way. That's the beauty of wine dinners is that you select the wines and you select, as a sommelier, you get to select, you work with a chef to select dishes that will showcase and highlight the wines. Hmm. And that's really the fun of it. And then, uh, you know, the beauty of traveling... I mean, like, wine dinners is like, that's that's a, luxury, a luxurious experience that... Not every Tom, Dick, and Harry who's trying to enjoy wine gets to gets to do. No, you know, very few people get to have a wine dinner. It's true. I mean, and, I, and I'm not saying uh, everyone needs to have a wine dinner with this. No, this I, wine. what, what, what I'm saying is that like you can make your own bloody wine dinner exactly if you understand saying. what you need, what you need to look for, and how you need to react to a wine. That's you know, right. like when, when I first when we first opened this bottle and I tasted it, like. I didn't actually understand what I needed to do to get myself to a point where I could fully appreciate what I'm tasting. Right. Because when I first tasted it, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really appreciate it all that right. much. I was like, that, that's true. And we, and we recognized that. And we, you know, we were kind of, uh, you know, batting that back and forth. I think the conclusion, the marvelous conclusion is what's exciting for me is that. You know, Chester, and I hope it's exciting for you as well, and for anyone who's drinking this wine, maybe for the first time, um, is that the next time you taste this wine, whether or not you have food with it, you will recognize and remember this experience, and you will hopefully remember the experience of what you know the wine can taste like and how you know it can be enjoyed, and you will, your perception will immediately be altered. Even if you don't have any mustard handy or any food handy the next well, time you, you taste it. An- another thing is maybe you just shouldn't trust your first instinct about it. You know, you know, today's day and age, it's like you experience something, you immediately call up, you know, figure out what feeling you had. And that's like the end all conclusion on the so subject. You put it on Instagram. Yeah, and they're like, oh, I hated this wine. It's like, well, did you try it with the mustard? And they're like, well, no, of course not. Why would I try it with mustard? And it's like, well, try it with mustard. I know. Find it's out. like, you know, why would you check your sources on, uh, you know, some Fox News article? Why would you bother doing that? <laughs> why would you do that? Don't check your sources. No, no, but but seriously, like this was this is a, this we've, was a uh, we've drained the bottle here. <laughs> this was a great example of how like your first impression of something, maybe you shouldn't trust it. Maybe you should question it, even when it's good. You know how many Absolutely. how many first dates have you gone on that were great, and then, well, five years later you're like, oh, that was a disaster. <laughs> what a horrible divorce that was. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> but like, you take it the other way, and it's like, you know, 
the first sip of the wine, you're like, oh, God, who picked this? Like, oh, this does not jive with me. And then you introduce something else into experience. Wait till the Dover Soul arrives. (laughs) Wait till the pickles show up. (laughs) Give it a chance, people. Wait till mean Mr. Mustard pulls up in his van. (laughs) No, I think the point is like, figure out how to how to enjoy it you know we're we're so quick to be like oh these are my pet peeves oh these are the perfect conditions that i require for whatever to enjoy something it's like you know what why don't why can't people be a little bit more you know figure out train themselves hack themselves to be a, a little bit more flexible and agile in terms of the experience they're having so that they can enjoy whatever is coming at them just tinker drinking it's tinkering your mind so that you can drink everything. You're drinkering, you're tinkering. <laughs> you're drinkering, you're tinkering. But really, Chester, I mean, in one hour, exactly an hour's time, we've kind of actually transcended your experience of something that you really thought you didn't enjoy very much. Yeah. I mean, hopefully I don't get sick like I usually do. But <laughs> oh, I think that may be related to uh, external factors. You know? <laughs> but, but, now, but now that but, I now that I have the mustard, look, I'm fine. Look who's talking. <laughs> Um, All right, let's wrap this up. This was so much fun. It's been a wonderful episode. Uh, we've been enjoying the Chambleau Vouvray Sec 2015 from the Loire Valley in France, 100% Chenin Blanc. Uh, sustainably farmed, whatever that means. Uh, we trust they have the best of intentions. Um, some biodynamic practices going on at Champlou we know as well. Uh, thank you, Champlou. Uh, w- wonderful wine, wonderful producer. Absolutely, and um, you know certainly an honest and uh, pure example of you know what the appellation of Vouvray can deliver. Uh, this wine we found. I'll trust um, Stephen on that one. The final uh, final tally as far as um, financials, uh, we paid forty dollars even for this wine in British Columbia. In British Columbia, Canada, the city of Vancouver, at the venerable uh, marquee wine cellars we love what they're doing we love everything they do they are one of the uh, absolute best um, places to learn about wine and places to shop uh, in the city of vancouver on davy street uh, in the west end there you can find the champlou vouvray uh, at marquee wine cellars well we'll talk we'll find out <laughs> I'm Stephen Lane. I'm with my trusty colleague here, Chester the Nightfly Northfield. This is my bitch and wine talk show. Thank you for joining us. Keep it short for us. Just drink it, all right? Chester, have you opened the wine yet? Can we get the show on the road, please? Did you bring the wine? I got the wine. <laughs> What do you think this is? Some kind of bitch and wine talk show? <laughs>